This summer, your local movie theater transforms into a tent revival for sharing Jesus. Join Believers Nationwide for the Million Souls Campaign, inviting unsaved loved ones to experience The Firing Squad, a new evangelistic movie starring Kevin Sorbo and Cuba Gooding Jr. Witness the true story that made worldwide headlines, American prisoners discovering faith in Christ while awaiting execution for their crimes in a third world country, transforming their lives and the entire prison in the process. After the movie and before the credits roll, Kevin Sorbo will come on the screen to lead the entire theater in a prayer to commit one's life to Jesus Christ. Visit FiringSquadFilm.com and learn how to get free tickets and more for your unsaved loved ones and become part of this unique event. Bring friends, family, and your faith. Learn more at FiringSquadFilm.com. That's FiringSquadFilm.com. I think I'm off the clock. I don't have to do this. No, you do. No, I You're not my, officially no, on vacation yet. No, you're not on vacation yet. Really? You still have to do the podcast intro. Really? When's my vacation start? And no, I, believe me, no one is rooting for it to start <laughs> faster than me. <laughs> Today was a really fun show. I think you're going to like uh, today's podcast. Um, uh, and you, the good news is you can get most of it on this podcast. Really? Yeah. Some of the other parts of, you know, a really good podcast be found, you know, maybe on Ben Shapiro today or something. Yeah, like that. there's but a lot of great shows out there. A lot there. of great shows out there. But this one has some good, you know, two, three minutes. Uh, and you'll find them. Yeah, it's almost like know. a Where's Waldo. You have to find a good two to three minutes. <laughs> it's a great Friday podcast we have coming up for you. Brought to you by Relief Factor. You live in pain, get out of pain. Oh, yeah, it's easy for you to say. Well, no, it wasn't actually. I was in pain for many, many years. Uh, and I tried everything. I mean, I went to the Mayo Clinic. No one could figure out exactly what was causing everything that was going on in my body. Um, uh, they all could say, inflammation has something to go with it. But they couldn't track it down more than that. I didn't think, you know, Relief Factor was going to work for me at all. Because uh, I, you know, I don't need to listen to some blowhard on the radio like me talking about Relief Factor. I went to the Mayo Clinic. I talked to doctors. Well, this was developed by doctors. And it was developed so it doesn't space you out. It just reduces inflammation. Try the three-week quick start. See if it works for you. 1995, relieffactor.com. Relieffactor.com. 800-4-RELIEF. 800, the number four relief. Relieffactor.com. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. The contributing editor for Unheard. She is the author of Feminism Against Progress. She used to be known as Sebastian. Her name is Mary Harrington. Welcome, Mary. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I, I am good. I, 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 I don't even remember where you were speaking, but I, I saw a clip of you online, and you are, you're very clear and clarified, uh, and uh, you have a lot of fans uh, in my producing staff as well. So thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here. So <clears throat> I, I started with what you, what you said 15 years ago. I was living in a queer commune, calling myself Sebastian, spent hours on the message boards angrily defending the queer theory belief that gender is a performance. Now you are being canceled for being honest about the differences between uh, male and female. 
Why are you no longer mm-hmm. Sebastian? What happened? <laughs> well, as it, it was kind of a it was kind of a thought experiment changing my name to Sebastian. I wanted to see what it would be like, and it turned out that I just didn't really like it very much. Um, I didn't like it. felt It felt like I it felt too big of an ask in the end to to say to my friends to say to my family more than anything that I you this name that you've known me by and this person who you always thought I was that's not who I am anymore and I want you to call me something different that just felt like I, I didn't have the right to ask that and, I, and it honestly just made me uncomfortable I know that's that there are there are people who don't take that there are a great many more people who don't take that view now but but that was that was just where I got to with it and also I just didn't really want to be a dude you know, I kind of I felt I wasn't really sure I wasn't really sure that I wanted to be a woman at the time because that seemed that seemed to come with a whole lot of downsides. Um, but as, as it, I, it was kind of an it was an experiment to see what it felt like, and then in the end I I I, I, I backtracked I walked back Sebastian fairly quickly and went by Sebastian Mary for a while, which I still mm. kind of like. I mean, it's, it's Sebastian Mary has a nice feel to it. Yeah, sure. Um, and you know, I wore my hair short and I I wore you know whatever whatever clothes I wore, and I was kind of a um, I, I was experimental about everything when I was twenty something, so, as so many people are, I guess. But in, in the end, I fell off the wagon. I just, I just realised it wasn't, it just wasn't making me happy. And yeah, I don't know. I don't think I figured that out. It wasn't like I woke up one day and was like, actually, this all sucks, and I'm going to become a reactionary. It didn't happen that quickly. <laughs> so <laughs> no, it, was, it was like, um, like my whole life sort of fell apart in 2008 because the startup I was, I founded, came to pieces, and it was partly my fault. And I ended up just, I lost my whole circle of friends. It's like, I don't know if you've ever had a business fail underneath you, but it's like getting divorced. Oh, yeah. Work. No, it's, it really messes with your mind. Yeah. But it's the bet when, uh, when you fail in whatever, it's the only time you eventually look back and say, that's when I really grew. So if you can it make was, it absolutely. through it. I mean, it was, a, it was a world changing, just a properly life changing moment for me because it, it really threw into relief a lot of the things which I, a lot of the beliefs that I based what I was doing on. And a lot of those beliefs really were, I, I guess you would call them woke now, although that wasn't what they were called then, but I was pretty woke about everything. And I really kind of followed through on all of it. You know, I just didn't really want, I didn't really want any hierarchy or any boundaries or any, any structure to anything really. And but inevitably that meant I had a very anarchic, unstructured, unboundaried life, which is just not very nice, especially as you get older. So and I began to realize I was lonely and I was, and you know, I was getting older and I still, I was still, I still had no money and I didn't really know where I was going to be living from one, one year to the next. And it just wasn't very nice. And, in, and it, it was, it was sheer luck really that, I mean, I remember my grandmother gave me some advice. We were very close. She was a wonderful, very wise woman, my grandmother. Um, she'd been a farmer and a doctor, and uh, she was pretty tough. Um, and she looked at me one day when I went to visit her, and she said, you know what, Mary, I think you should grow your hair and get married. And I was like, whoa, because at the time I wore my hair extremely short, and I was living in queer communes and just really a very, very, very some distance from getting growing my hair and getting married. But I, th- I guess it must have stuck in my mind, because as it turned out, it was really good advice. <laughs> That's, so, um, so, you know, wait, as, so wait, as, you... it, as it turns out, look, looking normal, gives you a lot more freedom to be whoever you are. Um, and being married, actually, as it turns out, gave me a, great, a lot more freedom to be who so, I am. So that is my uh, discovery with um, religion when it is understood and put in its proper place. Um, that, you know, for me, I, there is my relationship with God, and then there's my religion, which I choose uh, b- that has the framework that helps me be a better person. And for me, 
the um, a more uh, structured system, the better for me, because I have found now that uh, freedom really can come from just playing by the rules. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot easier. But they would some people would say that that's you're selling out to the system. Well, I don't know. I think it's it, it's just much more that it's very difficult to be creative if you don't have any boundaries. I mean, I'll give you a very recent example. It's a very very tiny example. You know, there are a whole lot, there are lots of there, there are lots of people, particularly women, who who are afraid that if they if they have kids, they'll end up tied down and they won't be able to do anything self expressive, right? But so so I have I only have one child because I started fairly late. And my husband, I had to work, it's half term, which is a week of school holidays at the moment here. Mm. And at the beginning of the week, my husband took our daughter up to visit the in-laws. I had to stay, I had to stay here and work. And I thought, oh, okay, so I'll, I'll get all of my work done in one day and then I'll do whatever the next day or I'll do a whole lot of other things. And as it turned out, I did not get all of my work done in one day. I did exactly the same amount of work, Glenn, as I would have done if I'd been working during school hours. I just spent the rest of the time faffing around. <laughs> um, as it turns out... <laughs> As it turns out, the, the boundary, you know, although sometimes I think, ah, oh, I have to, I have to, I'm in the middle of something. I don't want to have to put it down to, to go and collect my daughter and do one stuff. But as it turns out, if I don't have that boundary, I don't get any more done. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm just wandering around feeling bored and lonely. And, and, what, and it really took me back to being 25 and having no constraints on my time and just not really getting a whole lot done. And it made me realize that actually the, 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 the constraints, which I, the beneficial you know, healthy, life-giving, life-affirming and loving constraints that my family imposes on me. They're not an, they're not an obstacle to my creative work now. They're, 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 the, they're its basic enabling condition. And I can't do anything that I do without, without that. So, Mary, we have, so, we have... And I suppose <clears throat> you could generalize that to a faith as well. You know, you put those constraints on yourself and they, they allow you to flourish. I think that's, that's very true. We have... We see things now, I think, as a choice. And, and when... My mom and dad got married in the 1950s and my mom was, you know, in her 20s and early 20s. And so when the 60s came around, she was too uh, old for the burn your bra thing. Uh, She was not of the hippie generation, but she also didn't want to be a part of the the 1950s stay at home. She was very creative, uh, everything else. And she she ended up. in suicide and um, and massive drug abuse because people doctors used to write prescriptions. Oh, you're sad. Okay, take this. You'll be fine. Um, and I I think that's the way we look at things. It's either hmm. you are you can do everything a ma- you're you're you are a man if you want to be, or you're going to be taken valium at home with the kids and you've got no life except this uh you know uh slavery kind of housewife kind of life it's that those are both bogus aren't they uh-huh well i mean i've 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 never met a stay-at-home mum who just spends all of her time like vacuuming and and making dinner <laughs> you know they I've, uh, these, those women don't. I mean, if they exist, I've never. Maybe they exist. I don't know, Glenn, but I've never met one. You know, the stay-at-home mums who I know, they they organise groups. They 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 get to, they they hang out with one another. You know, they 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 all they get stuff done. I mean, back in the nineteenth century, um, bourgeois bourgeois housewives were pretty much around the world. 
I mean, there's, a, there's an amazing history. My, my great friend Erica Bakayoki recently wrote a history of, the, of women's organizing in 19th century America and just how extensive and how networked and how effective these women were mm-hmm. at uh, bringing about social change, you know, on a huge range of, huge range of important issues. And a lot of them had, you know, they were issues of faith or they were issues of temperance or they were issues of, you know, the, the looking, looking after the poor or the needy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these, these are women who got things done and the fact that they weren't drawing a salary directly for doing it was neither here nor there. You know, there are, there are a great many more ways to be, be a part of the larger, the larger social fabric than, than just kind of turning up in an office and drawing down a salary. And I think there's something, there's something very limited and very, um, very narrow-minded about thinking about, it, thinking about it in that way. So, and I think there's, you know, it's a, it's, a tough, it's a tough time now, especially for those women who really do want to be mothers, because a lot, of them, a lot of them end up having to work more than they would like to, because that flexibility just isn't there. And I can think of a great many women who bite your arm off at the opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom or even just to work a bit more flexibly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, and we've ended right, up with, it, with less choice in some other ways. I think also just to not be looked down on. I mean, I, I uh-huh. think one of the worst things that, uh, that women say, um, I'm just a housewife. I'm just a mom. Oh, yeah. What do you mean you're just a mom? What does that mean? Yeah. And that's because and else, then. I, we I look down on it. What did you say? I've been a stay-at-home mom, and, and every stay-at-home mom I've ever met, including me, will recognize the, that you go to a party and somebody asks, so what do you do? And you say, well, I'm a mom. And you can see they're already looking over your shoulder for somebody more interesting to talk to. It happens. Uh, every every stay-at-home mom I've ever met will recognize that. But I'll tell you something else. You get it worse from liberals than you do from conservatives. You're much more likely in in, in, a, in a relatively conservative circle of people to to have to have the work that you do acknowledged and respected and, and and responded to in a respectful way than you are amongst progressives. No matter how much lip service they pay to liberalism and to women having choice. In fact, well, the reality is that in that in terms of that moral hierarchy, um, the choice the choice to be a mum is nowhere. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and don't forget, rate us on iTunes. Talking to Mary Harrington, uh, who believes the feminism of freedom and the feminism of care are the twin poles of the women's movement from the mid uh, to late 18th century onward. She says feminism of freedom and the feminism of care uh, started really kind of going to war with each other because women were rightly quite conflicted. We need more freedom of movement. This new world seems premised on the idea that everyone is a free individual and we can be our own self in the market. That's what freedom is. Why can't we have that? Then, of course, you had the other side because we're women and we're mothers, we have children. You have a baby, you have a six-year-old. We know what it's like to be needed. So women argued from that experience of motherhood, it's not so simple. We need to have this recognized and taken into account. She says the feminist of freedom won out over the feminism of care when contraception and abortion were legalized. This is where we get the... Uh, the the cyborg or uh, transhumanism. Mary joins us again. Mary, can you take us through that that part of this? Sure. I mean, my argument is essentially that feminism as such ended in the 1960s and that we should think of the sexual revolution, not as the sexual revolution, but the transhumanist revolution. Uh, we are 50 years and more in, and counting into the transhumanist revolution. 
and that what marches under the banner of feminism now is more, we should, we should think of it more as a kind of libertarianism of the body, which is to say a, a, a belief that we should be free to do whatever we want with our bodies and we should be constrained in no way by any, any aspect of our bodies, including our sex. Um, including whether we're born male or female. That should not limit us in any way at all. Yeah, I was just talking to a a really brilliant uh, guy yesterday, uh, Spencer Clavin, and he said um, uh, trans people is really the the beginning of the end uh, because it's going, that's all transhumanism. You control with technology. You control what you are. Absolutely. And that began with the contraceptive pill. Because if you think about it, the pill was the first medical technology that didn't set out to fix something that was broken. Like if I broke my wrist, then oh, I, need, I go see a doctor. The doctor gives me pain meds and spins my arm and I, I am, I'm better again. But that assumes like, and, but, but what the pill does is the opposite of that. Or at least it's, it's very different to that. The pill breaks something which is working just fine, which is normal female fertility. Um, in the, in, and it does so in the name of personal freedom. It does so. It does so in order to grant women the freedom to have sex without without dealing with un, unexpected pregnancies or undesired pregnancies, I should say. So, you know, a pregnancy under those circumstances. You know, if you have sex, you you should expect normally to get pregnant. Um, and and the pill, but the pill breaks that, and it does so in the name of freedom. And there have been lots of benefits to that. You know, it's, it allowed it allowed a huge number of women to to plan their lives in a way which hadn't been easily possible before. So lots right. of women went to college and got jobs. And I, I, I mean, I I participated in public life in a way which was much more difficult previously. But it also came with some with, with some unexpected costs. I mean, my great friend Louise Perry has written has has written a great deal about the downsides of the sexual revolution for women. Um, but one of the one of the unexpected effects of the pill was that it didn't. It didn't prevent unexpected pregnancies nearly as much as people thought it would, because what, although fewer pregnancies were happening relative to the number of people who were having sex, there were so many pe- more people having casual sex because they could, essentially, that the absolute number of unplanned pregnancies went up, and that created a pressure to legalize abortion. Um, and I mean, we've been talking about the feminism of freedom and the feminism of care. And, you know, one, a, a bunch of women who, who wanted to say women's interests are about um, our relationships and our bodies and our children and our families. And another bunch of freedom who was saying women's interests are about defending our right to do whatever we want to do, just in the same terms as men. So that's very crudely the two, the two sides of that argument. And it's very, you know, wherever you stand on abortion, it's very hard to think of a clearer way of saying freedom matters more than care than to say my freedom is so important that I will defend it even at the cost of a potential human life. That's that's totally reliant on my body. Let me go to um, the trans uh, argument that is is happening all over the world right now. Um, And I think we are uh, ahead of you or behind you, I guess, because I think you guys are actually starting to come out of this already. Um, And, you know, TERFs, are just a horrible thing. Uh, however, it seems as though, and I think this really is in large part due to you, that the TERFs are winning in uh, Great Britain. Is that true? And, and what did you do to change the tide over there that America can do? Well, it's, I mean, it depends. 
we've we've definitely we've had some successes. That's definitely true. I'm I'm a long way from declaring it a victory. Right. I think I'd be a little bit like George Bush when he was standing there on that on that <laughs> ship saying, saying we right. won, we won, guys, we can all go home." Um, I think it's a little, it's it's too early to say that we've won, and we really are just into the foothills of something here. Um, but if there's if there's something that the turf did. I mean, the the British situation is very different to the American one anyway, because culturally we're just kind of I think we're just more pessimistic in Britain about (laughs) about being who being who you want to be. You know, that's that's pretty that's pretty baked into the American way of looking at things that people should be able to be who they want to be. Correct. And so I can see like that 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 plugs fairly obviously into into what's going on with the trans thing. Like, why why shouldn't these people be who they want to be, even if that means imagining their bodies are meat Legos and they can rearrange them as they as they want. Um, and, and I think I think Brits are just a little bit more pessimistic about that. We're also better organised because we had Mumsnet, which is it's a discussion forum for for mums. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the very early organising um, to to push back against gender ideology began on Mumsnet and has since spun out into into campaigning institutions. And I think if there have been if there have been concrete successes in Britain. Um, it's been in realizing that actually where the battle is fought is not is, it's not in the media culture war. That that stuff is noisy, but it doesn't really do very much. It doesn't move the needle. And actually, what you need to do is build institutions, and you need to lean on the levers of power, which are which are NGOs these days. You know, most most real power flows through flows through NGOs and happens prior to voting in the world mm. as it is now. And I think in as much, I mean, I, I, I don't track American politics super closely, but, you know, in as, well, where, where things cross my radar that look as though they're moving the needle in a similar way, it's, for example, the Mums for Liberty movement on school choice, mm-hmm. um, which, which to me has some of the same character, I mean, with, with American characteristics and much more under American style. Um, slightly different priorities, but I see, I see that as being, you know, they're, they're, getting, they're getting their members on school boards. And they're and they're leaning on the actual levers of power. They aren't just they aren't just writing angry think pieces and then be looking surprised when nothing changes. They're they're showing up and they're and they're doing politics. And as a result, they're you know they it's it's not you know they're they're moving the needle. And that's that, and I guess that's that's how it has to work. Um, you know, if you're going to if if you want to affect change, you have to show right. up. Are you? Um, uh, and you have to show up where it matters. We we are seeing things, you know gender mutilation on children and everything else and we are behind you on you are having more success of stopping that over in uh great britain than we are um uh, but people are waking up but it it is it's absolute evil what is what is happening right now um are are you uh optimistic or pessimistic uh here on how this all works out are we in for a very yeah. long battle, or we lose? It's or... going to be a bumpy ride. I think it's yeah. going to be a bumpy ride, and it, honestly, I think it's going to be a bit of both. To be honest, I, I think the turfs will win on on pediatric gender. I think what a friend of mine calls it um, genital lobotomies. I don't think I mm. think that will that will stop because the because the negative side effects are so obvious, and sooner or later there's just going to be such a cascade of losses that it's going to, and, and so many. You know, the the number of the number of brutalized adults who just who are brutalized, angry young adults will just get so big that it will stop. Um, but I think that the, if you if you view the gender movement as a kind of spearhead for a wider transhumanist, um, you know, the, the, the onward march of biotech into yeah. our bodies, 
Um, I think if if we imagine that it, if, if we if we claim victory just because they stopped doing gender lobotomies on children, then when we're not paying attention yes. because you know, the the stuff the stuff which is coming down the line is in vitro gametogenesis and three parents three parent embryos, and you know there are experimental surgeries which which splice people with bits of animal and genetically engineering pigs so that they can grow human organs for the transplant industry and a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, it just gets more and more baroque and more and more disturbing. And, and, and that's, yeah. And, and it's, very, it's very easy to argue the, the conservative case against creating monsters, but it's very much harder to argue the conservative case against creating supermen. And I think that's, a, that's an argument which we, which we haven't even begun to have yet. No. And people are already trying to do it. Mary, thank you so much for everything. Say hi to Sebastian if you ever see him. Uh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you thank you for having me thank you mary harrington uh the book that she wrote is feminism against progress um and she is a contributing editor for the uh for unheard and you follow her at reactionaryfeminist.com you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program you know there's a story out today it's in our free show prep at glennbeck.com um about why this Bud Light thing is really working, and that's because people are buying it at the at the uh, bars. And if you if you ask for a Bud Light in some of these bars, people are just harassing you. They're like, "Oh, really?" And that's really how you do it. Yeah. You just don't do that with your wife at Target. No, well, if you want to stay married, you certainly don't do right. it. Um, well, if you don't want to stay married, do could, it a lot, <laughs> a lot. Yeah, the quote from the is Marina Cafe in Great Kills on Staten Island. And they said, not only did the sales of Bud Light tank two months ago, but the rare partakers of the product these days find themselves reamed by fellow patrons. Mm. <laughs> Again, like you would go in there and enjoy a beer. Even if you like Bud Light, you just don't want to get in the It's just so it. much easier, yeah. though. Like my wife came home the other day and I don't know, she needed to buy a blouse for my daughter and hamburger meat and a candle i don't know and she was like i wasn't running to three stores today i don't have time yeah and uh i'm like i just think this is poor planning what you knew you needed that <laughs> candle a long time ago sister you're no, going on but, vacation what do you need a candle yeah. for <laughs> when you're gone i'm romancing somebody uh anyway uh so the um uh it's just hard because that just breaks your day up and you got it. It's Bud Light is easy. Pull that one or pull that one. Yeah, I don't want that one. Pour a glass that. of that. The easy substitute is such a key part of this. Yeah, it is. And I think too, there's just that level of, you know, you you have to make it so you're not ruining your own life because of their bad decisions, right. and that's you, tough to do. Let me ask you: Do you think this is why Hispanics are becoming white supremacists? <laughs> are they? Oh, yeah. well, the rise of Latino white supremacy, it's, I mean, it's right here in black and white. What mm. is this, Vanity Fair? Oh, well, yeah. well Oh, then. the New Yorker, even better. They're even smarter. Better. They have cartoons you don't, nobody understands. Even the people who draw them don't understand them. <laughs> right. Uh, so they've got to be right. Mm. And maybe it's because, you know, they go for that high thread count sheet and they can't get them at Target anymore. So they're like, where are we going to go? And they're, I don't know. So the high thread the count clan. sheet. For the clan's outfits. Well, they might not mm-hmm. m- might not really agree with everything, but they want the sheets. You know. Okay. So it's I not an know. ideological uh, affinity I to the clan. Know. It's the just comfort of nice thread counts. I don't know. I mm. just know that the New Yorker has a whole piece out about how uh, we are now, 
you know, seeing the rise of Hispanic white supremacy. I've noticed that they call Hispanics uh, brown, which I I really hate that term. I don't know why. Brown peoples. And they'll call them brown peoples as if black and brown. And then they'll call brown peoples, people of color. All these really weird color in my face. It's just pig, pink. Right. Everyone has it. Everyone's got some color. No one's actually white. I don't know if anyone's noticed this. Mm. Um, maybe a few exceptions. But the the I always find this to be interesting is that when they want to claim Hispanics as their own, they're people of color. But now they can also be white and white supremacists, which yeah, is they really stop fascinating. Stop being colorful. Right. They're no they longer right. POCs. No. At that point. No, because they're not agreeing. Um, and there are some people that they have found. Uh, that are, you know, have racist Nazi tattoos. Now, I just don't understand that. I mean, I think this is this might be a case of you're either really stupid if you're just, I want to get a Nazi tattoo, and you're any other color than pig pink, okay? Because yeah, Nazis don't like color. In fact, the ideal color is like, like spooky ass white with blue eyes. Okay. The kinds that you like to look at and like, I think they're half wolf. That's the ideal. Okay. I guess. And, uh, and you're not, you're not that. So they're going to figure that out at some point. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how that works. I mean, I guess you could be a, a non white, a non white, white supremacist. If what you're, if you're, are you just relating this to fascism generally? Like, you so could, here's what they're, here's what they're saying. This, mm-hmm. this article is crazy, but yeah, they say, um, uh, they say that, look, the Hispanics know that they have to be more white and act more white if they want to oh, be God. successful. God. And so they're just acting white and they're just saying, hey, we, 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 we want to be white so badly uh, and be accepted by the white people that will join the Klan. <laughs> I got news for you, man. You're wearing a sheet. A lot of white people are not going to like you. The overwhelming majority are going to think you're insane. <laughs> yeah, right. Just so you know. Right, and not because do you not look in the mirror or do you not listen at meetings? Mm. Uh, because <laughs> that's nuts. Yeah, but whether uh, you're white or black or any other color, your your acceptance well, and membership in the KKK automatically makes you insane. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I tell you, they're pushing it. They are pushing it. These Hispanics are pushing white supremacy like, oh, crazy, hmm. Stu. How do we it's know not that? just because of Target. Just the New Yorker article? No. Well, you know I'm a big fan of uh, Maria and Teresa. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, the yeah, the... Uh, the telenovela? Yeah, they're great. Mm. I watch them all the time. Do you? Yeah, I do. I, didn't, I do. I don't think I, I realized love them. that. Uh, you know, but I was watching the other day, and I was watching Teresa, and uh, and uh, there was a scene with Teresa mm-hmm. and Pablo, and okay. all of a sudden, they start talking about, uh, about white supremacy, and I'm like, wait a minute, what? And Teresa was not happy. Sorry. Teresa was not happy about it. I didn't know you spoke Spanish. Hmm? I didn't even know you spoke Spanish. How do you... Are there... Well, may I? Because I, I, I brought the clip in. Okay. And I'll translate it for you. Yeah. you speak Spanish? I don't know. Okay, good. This, so uh, let me just... Uh, let me translate hmm. what happened on Teresa. Okay? 
Uh, Teresa just found Pablo wandering the streets. Stop, stop, stop. Not yet. Teresa is, I'm trying to set this up. Mm -hmm. This is complex stuff. Sure. Mm -hmm. Teresa just found Pablo wandering the streets of Mexico City. Mm. Wow, you do that very well. Thank you. You do speak Spanish. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. I do. Uh, And she realizes something's wrong with uh, Pablo. Okay. Now go ahead. What is wrong with you, Pablo? You look like you've seen a ghost. I know what it is. I saw you last night walking around town with those angry-looking men wearing bedsheets and carrying crosses. We lit crosses at midnight, Teresa. Have you never heard of the Ku Klux Klan? See, I, I have. But... It doesn't really make any sense to me. They're white supremacists. Why would they expect uh, accept a Hispanic man like you? They know you're not white, don't they? They know you're not white? I, they know I love the white race, Teresa. What? Like Hitler. Like, like Hitler, what do you mean? Well, he was a brunette, but he knew blondes were better. So just like him, I may be Hispanic. But I wish I was white. Right? Yes, it's true, I believe that. But why would you join those blanket-wearing men? They're freaks. Teresa, we are not freaks. The clan is so old-fashioned. No. You're better than that. Any Hispanic white supremacist worth his salt would only join the Patriot Front. Their uniforms are actually stylish, and they're definitely not feds. I guess I was wrong about you, Pablo. You will never be white. Never be white. Yeah. Wow, that yeah. was dramatic. Yeah, it was crazy, and it just spilled out my living room the other day. Wow. Yeah. See, I didn't know this. And I know I'm not a. I say no, I don't. Speak speak spanish yeah. but like wh- wouldn't the name hitler just translate as hitler i didn't hear hitler no, not in in sp- spanish is very strange oh, okay yeah uh, you know it's like c yeah, and yes totally different no totally well, i different. know i okay i know that's how language works right. in translation but like names usually stay the same not in mexico okay a lot of them change their names Hmm. A lot of them. Do. Well, I mean, that did explain the phenomenon mm-hmm. of white supremacist Hispanics. <laughs> That's pretty well. And they're pushing it hard. <laughs> they're pushing they it really hard. They really are. Yeah, you know, that damn Telemundo. Damn. <sighs> well, there it is. You've got the truth finally. You need to do a new podcast on just. Uh, I'm going to do like, it. You in know, Spanish. like they do those succession recaps. Uh-huh. The what? You, you know, like succession, the show yeah, that just ended. Right. They do like a daily or weekly podcast on reviewing what happened. You could do that for these we telenovela. Could. <laughs> <laughs> in Spanish, of course. We could do that. Yeah. We could mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, would you like me to when I, I get back? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, we'll just we'll just tape a few episodes, and then I'll come and translate them. Will you be able to uh, keep up with it on your vacation? Will you still watch them? You don't want to miss any developments. Oh, I can watch those things, you know, all the time. Okay. All the time. Good. Good Especially Maria. 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 Teresa. The night on Maria. You know, today is a great day to get a warranty. Actually, any day is a great day when you're not worrying about your appliances and home systems. That's what you get with an American Home Shield warranty. All the unexpected breakdowns like a leaky faucet or faulty water heater, they're not going to break the bank because covered repairs and replacements are all taken care of. Having reassurance is something to celebrate. Choose the plan that works for you and your budget. 
When a covered item in your home breaks, all you do is contact American Home Shield. Their trusted, qualified pros will fix or replace it based on the coverage limits in your agreement. When it comes to protecting your appliances and home systems, don't worry. Be warranty. Go to ahs.com slash Beck and save 20%. That's ahs.com slash Beck and get 20% off any plan. See ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. New Jersey residents, the product being offered is a service contract and is separate and distinct from any product or service warranty which may be provided by the home builder or manufacturer. Hello. 